0: I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She.
1: You're sitting at a table now as a leader with very intelligent individuals, people that have experience, knowledge, wisdom, and you want to hear it. At least I do. I want to mine for diverse opinions to to help inform better decision-making, and some, Sometimes I would find people would shut down if you use language like, well, I don't agree, or that doesn't make sense to me. And so I learned neutralizing language like, have you considered, instead of,
0: I don't agree. Eva Stevens was president of United Properties and the first and only woman to be on the executive team. She talks about how to deal with industry market declines as well as the difficulty in dealing with the sudden death of a fellow executive. During her employment at an earlier company, she endured being diminished and her talents were not valued. Eva talks about the importance of networking and using emotional intelligence and instinct to guide her. Enjoy listening to Eva. Welcome to Leading She, Eva.
1: Thanks, Susan. I really appreciate being on and it's nice
0: to see you this morning. Great, glad to have you here. So, Eva, tell me about your career. It's been a long one. It was a long one. You are now retired, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, give me a, give me a, an outline of your career.
1: Sure. I um, started out of college in public accounting with Coopers and Lybrand, and uh, was shortly after the beginning put on the real estate team, which is where I was introduced to real estate. Uh, left there after three years and joined LRB, a large architectural and engineering firm in the Twin Cities area and ultimately rose to become the treasurer of their real estate subsidiary, and left their real estate subsidiary to join a local um, investment development company, Northco, and spent 11 years there combined with their exit to Colonnade Properties. And from Colonnade Properties, I joined United Properties, where I spent close to 18 years, the final 18 years of my career. So most of my career Um, I've been involved somehow in commercial real estate. Uh, The very first project I worked on was the building the financial model that supported the bond sale for the downtown Dome Stadium, which has now been demolished and replaced by this beautiful Viking Stadium. So that shows you how old I am.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Good. So... You were with a company called, is it Colonnade Properties?
1: Yes. So North Coast sold its
0: asset management
1: and property management group into a partnership with, with um, Taylor Simpson in New York City, and we became Colonnade Properties. Okay.
0: And then from Colonnade, and we'll talk about your progression and, and your uh, move to United Properties. United Properties. As well. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Ed Padilla, who is a longtime president of Northmark, now executive chairman, said to me about you Eva is a thoughtful, dedicated person, loved her properties, excellent in her reporting, almost always outperformed the market. So that's very high praise from Ed. So thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Well, tell me a little about where you grew up, your parents. And siblings? Sure. I grew up in Minnetonka, Minnesota. Um, my
1: parents, Chuck and Charla Bennis, um, owned a service station in Minnetonka Mills, and I grew up in a neighborhood of boys. And we rode motorcycles and snowmobiles and played baseball. And I hung around with Dad down at the station, taking apart carburetors and putting them back together. And that's where I grew up. Also, rode horses, and I have one sister. I'm married, have been for 43 years, and we just finished building our retirement home up in Ely, Minnesota.
0: Ah, where is that? It's
1: about five hours northeast of the cities.
0: Okay. That's a long marriage. So he's, uh, he's been there with you. What's your husband's name? His name is Dick. Okay. Uh, he's been there with you uh, throughout your career and supported you, I assume.
1: He has. Yes, he has. He's uh, been a very supportive spouse, as a matter of fact, in the last three years of my career. Uh, we talked about whether or not we were up for me taking the position as a co-leader of United Properties and concluded that for us to manage our aging parents and for me to have an opportunity to try this job on for size, he retired. So he retired at age 60 and ran the family and, and supported me so that I could become uh, take a, a larger role within United Properties.
0: Fantastic. Yes, my husband's retired too, so we have that in common, and it is nice. Our children are grown, and yes. So, and you did not have children, I understand.
1: We did not. Nope, not lucky enough to have children. Um, but we have ten nieces and nephews, and an abundance of great nieces and nephews. They're all over the world, and we're pretty close to all of them. We're very
0: lucky in that regard. It's fantastic. Well, you and I talked about this, uh, and you mentioned it earlier when we grew up we were we have this in common that we were surrounded by boys and yes I was the same way I was kind of a tomboy and I played sports I used to fish I mean and and I did not see myself really differently from the boys um, and what was available to me I felt like we were all equal we were all kids Um, but then talk about that and then talk about what you realized when you came into, to working.
1: I will. And thank you for sharing that. Um, I appreciate it. I, I grew up uh, playing baseball and riding snowmobiles and motorcycles, and it never really occurred to me when I walked into the business world, not so much in public accounting, because I didn't notice it there to tell you the truth. But when I walked into the world of commercial real estate, I didn't realize I didn't belong at the table. It was a message that I began to get as I participated in meetings. You know, people would look over the top of me or say things to me like, gosh, I wish my daughter would dress like you or um, things like that. And it, it didn't feel to me that what was coming out of my mouth was actually being heard. And that was very shocking to me. Mm-hmm. And so I had to step back and ask myself, How, what do I do now?
0: Right. So you felt, you felt dismissed, diminished? I, I- did. Okay.
1: Yes, I think those are good words. Invisible. I'm going to use the word invisible. Mm-hmm. Um, what I was notice, What I was noticing early on is that I was so passionate and excited about understanding what it was that I was doing and sharing that story that I would find it would go fall on deaf ears. Yet the ideas were being implemented, and mm-hmm. so I saw early that I could offer um, advice, but I was not going to be. Affirmed as having brought that forward, so that was an interesting Uh, dynamic. And in my early mm -hmm. years, it really annoyed me. It doesn't anymore.
0: Right, I understand. (laughs) And you know, something that that uh, issue comes up as much as anything in this podcast, and that is, you know, women bring in the idea. uh, It's taken, uh, you know, whether whether the men realize they're doing it or not, but they can be in a meeting. She's said this several times and And it's been ignored, but the guy says it, and 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 the idea is taken. You know, so that that has mm-hmm. happened a lot uh, in mm-hmm. you know in I, my I, podcast, I... and it happened to you, it sounds like
1: it did. It did. And as I grew older in the business, um I learned to round my shoulders a little bit, and I actually engaged a coach. And that coach helped me understand that what was important is reaching the objective for the company. And sometimes I think that's missed by an organization is mm. when they look at women as, as managers and leaders is that we are as, as passionate about the success of that organization as anybody. And as long as the strategy was going a direction that I understood, could articulate, and could lead the implementation of, whether it was my idea or somebody else's idea, I let go of that. That's a competitive mm-hmm. piece of the business that I chose not to step into. I really evaluated I would going in the right direction. And that gave me a lot of freedom. And I let go of a lot of, um, I, would, I would say, um, internalized anger.
0: Yeah. So it almost sounds like you may have had the idea, somebody else takes it. But that's okay because the company benefits from the idea and you let it go. You didn't hang on to it. Is that what I'm hearing? Right. Okay. Yes. All right. Different approach, uh, but still works. And that's, you're a team player. You want to make sure the company does well. And so the idea was implemented. You may not have gotten credit for it, right? Yep. Didn't matter okay. to me. I decided. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we were both tomboys. We were round boys. And then we come out into the world. And, you know, this is when we start realizing it. Before United Properties, President of United Properties. Before then, your previous company was sold, and there was an opportunity there that you didn't get. Uh, tell me about what yes. happened there.
1: Yes. So at the time, I was vice president of asset management, and the asset management and property management group was sold into a partnership of North Co. and um, Taylor Simpson. And when we were pulled together as leaders in the organization to talk about the transition there wasn't a box on the on the organizational chart for me, and I was shocked. You know, I was just shocked. But um, I listened, and um, ultimately they asked me if I would support the chosen leader in the transition of the organization. And I thought about it overnight, and I decided not only would I support the transition, but I would lead it. I would help plan it, and I would implement it. And then mm-hmm. I, committed, I committed to a year. And then at the end of the year, the executives from New York, from home office, flew in. And Paul Taylor said to me, you know, you're the only person that delivered on your promise. And they promoted me to senior vice president of asset management of the region. And um, I had my job back. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a unique approach to keeping my job, but I kept it.
0: Right. <laughs> So you had it, but when it was first, the, the acquisition first took place, you're looking at the org chart and you don't see your name on it. You don't see a, a box with your name on it. Um, right. So it, it sounds like you sort of created the position and then developed a team. Is that right?
1: I did. Yes, okay. I had it. I had, yep, I had grown into the position. I had developed a team. And when it was time to transition the position was given to, um, somebody else. Right. And when they, when they first asked me, I think I, I skipped this part. When they first asked me if I would help lead the transition by surrounding, you know, the current leader, I, my first question out of my mouth was, well, why would I do that? Right. And then I, and then there was just a pause (laughs) and (laughs) I said, well, and that's when i went into the conversation uh, at the next day of well i will you know i will transition and i will make sure the team is and the portfolio are are um operating well but i need a year commitment and they gave me the year commitment and then at mm. the end of the year they came to town and said yeah, mm-hmm. you're the only person that delivered on your promise and mm. they promoted me
0: yeah so it it sounds like one of those situations where i've faced in my career where there's, there's an assumption sometimes that you are here to help cheerlead him. In other words, he's mm-hmm. got the position and you're here to support him. You're here to cheerlead and, you know, make him look good. Yes. Uh, but you don't have yes. the respect of having a position on the org chart, right? That's what they were asking right. you to do.
1: Yes. And what I, what I discerned about mid-career, is that I found myself, I, I called it second seat. I found myself regularly sitting in the second seat. Sort and of that, a second chair. That, yes. The second chair. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I went along with that and somehow convinced myself that that was what I was going to be. And at about 40, I decided that possibly it was how I was presenting myself, maybe how I was using my voice, how I was being received. So I decided all on my own to take myself to graduate school. And the reason Mm -hmm. that I went to graduate school was because I wanted a safe academic environment to try on my own ideas and learn to speak in a manner that was being heard. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: that was really beneficial to me, extraordinarily Mm -hmm. beneficial to me. And the company even offered at that time to pay for my graduate school as long as I would sign a piece of paper that said that I would stay there for the rest of my career. And I said, no, I'm owning this on my own. And Hmm. so I went to graduate school at night, paid for it, Dick and I paid for it. And then what I really enjoyed from graduate school was strategic planning and analysis and working in an environment where we were given a problem, we had to quickly solve the problem, and then we had to present our case around solving Mm -hmm. the problem and moving the organization forward. And so I learned to do a lot of listening, assessment, organizing my thoughts, and then making an action plan and a timeline and being able to articulate that. And I didn't have to waste a bunch of time um, kind of processing out loud and those kinds of things. And that was very beneficial to me.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's that's fantastic. I want to go back, though, to your time at this company. and it sounds like there was an opportunity for that was presented, but you didn't get that opportunity. And you said something to me that I remember, and I want you to say it. I'd like you to say it about your dreams.
1: Yes. Um, I wasn't given the position, and I said to the um, chairman of the board of Northco at the time, my dream is to be the chief operating officer. And I was told that was not going to happen in my career. And I said to him, you don't get to step on my dreams. And I went about the business of continuing to do my job and leading this team. And we had um, we had a number of very successful outcomes um, as a team. And then I was called on the carpet for putting together an elitist team, which was exclusionary of others, <laughs> which wasn't how I was looking at it. Um, at all, I was looking at it as ferreting forward um, a group of um, experts or technical experts on turning around an asset, and we did so successfully. And the company received an extraordinary payment for doing that. Mm-hmm. And my my the response to me was, "Well, you put together an elitist team, and you you know left people behind." I was like, "Wow." I think I'm just yeah. in the wrong company. I mean, the culture here isn't matching up with me anymore. So right. then right about that, that same time United properties came knocking on the door to see if I wanted to have a cup of coffee. And I went and had the cup of coffee. Good. And then, yeah. Good. yeah. And then several meetings later, packed up my bags and, and, had the opportunity to go across the highway and work for, uh, I think one of the greatest companies in the world. I mean, I, to have found United Properties, to have found the leadership within United Properties and the family, the Polad family of companies in the twilight of my career in the last quarter of my career was such a gift that mm-hmm. uh, I almost can't, mm-hmm. I almost can't remember my early years and those struggles that we talk right.
0: about. Yeah. I love this company, Northmark and the Polads. I just love how they run the company. I love their culture and how they look at things. Um they uh when the i do too when the covid when the covid uh virus happened uh they came out and said we're going to donate a large amount of money to free store food banks in your markets you know 36 offices at northmark and uh that's that's what they do you know it's just uh, uh i they called do when i when i sold my company in 2014 i called one company because i'd watched Ed Padilla run it. And I just watched it from afar. And I said, that's the only company that I want to sell to. And uh, uh, the rest is history. So yeah, I agree with you. Um, but
1: Well, but- congratulations on that. It's, uh, joining that company uh, for me was a life-changing event in my career.
0: Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. That's, so know, going back and recapping, yeah. just to recap on, on this, you know and it's it's just such a shame but what happened was you didn't get the opportunity you didn't have a box on the org chart but you were you said hey i'm going to set up this team i'm going to be successful we're going to get this done and then you did it and then you were criticized almost for your success yes right that is absolutely correct yes and and (laughs) yes if you'd been a man do you think that would (laughs) have happened no, I don't. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I don't. Thank you.
1: But I'm not, I, I'm not bitter. I mean, I think, I, I think the outcome was a good one, and I'm proud of it. Yeah. It's just having to bear the burden of being dismissed along the way was fairly painful for a young woman, but I found my way.
0: I often find that during my career, things happen in life that shift. Um, suddenly. And we have to shift with it and respond. And sometimes it can become a crisis. But uh, you worked for somebody that was regarded highly, uh, Boyd Stouffer. And um, one morning, I think you were an early morning person, you were in your office and Bert Coliani, who worked for the family of the Polads, came into your office. And what did you learn? Tell me about what happened there.
1: Well, well, um, in our marketplace, Boyd Stoffer is a um, legend, and he really uh, created United Properties. And he is the person, along with Jim Polad, who managed the marriage of the Polad families with United Properties um, many years ago. And Bert Coliani is the chief executive officer um, of the Polad family of companies, and. Boyd reported to him, and I was in the office early. We were preparing for a pitch and uh, for a new development pitch. And I turned around, and Bert Coliani was standing there and I panicked. I thought, oh my God, my direct supervisor, something happened to him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, who was the president, uh, president of United Properties. And I said, what's happening? And he said, Boyd Stofer died last night. Mm. And it was for our company a shock. Mm-hmm. Um, the leader, the person who calls the market, the person who decides when an asset sells, when an asset doesn't sell, the person decide, you know, ultimately makes the final decision inside the organization for deployment of capital was gone. I had sat next to this man for 10 years and he um he was a mentor to me. He mm-hmm. he's the one who decided to hire me. He put me in a responsible position. He had my back as a leader and as a female leader. Mm-hmm. He sought my advice on matters um, associated with the culture of the organization as well as real estate investment decisions. He had my back during 2008 and 2009 when the world fell apart around all of us. Right. He said when I gave him my um, plan for the portfolio, he said, I've got your back. You go. Nobody will question you if they do send them to me mm-hmm. uh, unconditionally. The like guy had my back.
0: Yeah. Eva, tell me about Boyd Stouffer as a boss. How was he different than your previous uh, employers uh, as a boss, the culture, and how he had your back?
1: When I went to work for United Properties, I was fearful of Boyd because he's a legend in the industry and of being really tough, and he's brilliant. He's a very, very smart man. My confidence was a little shaken, but I was delighted to have the opportunity. So I show up to work. Boyd hovers for a couple of weeks. He's kind of in and out of my office, and he's asking me questions and that kind of thing, and then all of a sudden he disappears. And so I went to um, another individual in the department, and I said, kind of, what's up with Boyd? He's been hovering around for a couple of weeks, and now he's disappeared. And is that bad or is that good? And I remember Brian Carey was my part, was a develop, developer at the time, and he said, "No, that's good. If he's not hovering, he believes you know what you're doing." So that mm-hmm. was my first indication that um, Boyd was comfortable having me there. And then, as the time went by, I sat next to him for ten years. As the time went by, he would come in and out of my office, and he'd ask me, "What are we worrying about today?" And it would. Mm-hmm come out of those conversations that he would discover that I was in there busy looking under every rock trying to figure out everything that was going on in the portfolio, what we could do to you know, fix, fix issues if there were any. And he was stopping in because he was enjoying the discussion back and forth about what it was I was worrying about and where I was going with that um, piece of knowledge. And he would offer advice and then he started showing up asking for advice. And then the advice he was asking for had to do with the culture of the organization. And I felt mm. very included in um, these conversations. And in 2005, I think it was, he invited me to be on his executive team, which was a huge, huge event for me because I was the first woman, the only woman, mm-hmm. and... I just was so honored, and so I did. I joined the executive team, and then along comes 2008 and nine, where the wheels fall off of the industry, and Boyd called me into his office, and he said, what's the plan for the portfolio? And I rattled it off, and he said, I'm impressed. I've got your back. You go. Nobody will question you, and if they do, send them to me. And so I felt for the first time in my life that I was not only visible, but that I was affirmed as a leader inside the organization. And I had what Brian Carey would say, one of my partners, I had capital with the boss. He believed in mm-hmm. what I was doing. And I, I really felt honored um, to work for him and learn from him. It was a gift. That was mm-hmm. a turning point in my career.
0: Fantastic. Yeah, um I mean, what a difference a boss can make, right? I mean, you you came from this totally. company that said, "Hey, you're not you're not going to yes. have this responsibility." Here's someone who had your back, had uh, had prestige and he had uh, clout there. And so yes. he, he he saw your talents and he supported you. He promoted you, right?
1: He did. Yes. Mm-hmm. I went from vice president to senior vice president to executive vice president and then subsequent to his untimely death. Um, and I then became a, a president, not sure. immediately, but shortly mm-hmm. after, a president Understood. of United
0: Properties, co-president. Understood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, how long did you work with Boyd? Boyd, ten years. Ten years. So, you worked with him yes. ten years. He, he developed uh, a good relationship. He backed you, and then he just dies suddenly. Um, so it he had did. to be a shock, and. Um, you know that's uh, that so the point I was making was you know you, you're going along ten years, you're working with this, everything's going well, and things can shift in in life, and it it's unfortunate that he died, but you know, I mean, gosh, wow, what uh, what a shock and so how how would you tell women to deal with things like that that happen that, that aren't expected in life? Keep going. <laughs>
1: you know, I, I came to work one morning, 7 o'clock, found the chief executive officer of the Polled family company standing in my office sharing the news with me that Boyd Stover had passed away. Mm. And I was in complete shock. And Boyd was the one in the company that called the market. Um, he was the one that we looked to um, mm-hmm. to know that we were safe and that we had a direction. And it was, it felt like just a huge void. That's the oh. day that I, the, that I learned about the graciousness and the authenticity of the ed family.
0: And yeah. And that's where the, I wanted to the, go next. Yep. Yeah. The void is, is gone. The Pollard family wants to meet with you and find out, you know, what's going on with the properties and, and, yes. um, yeah. Your, your role, um, and you were given some advice uh, on talking to the Pollads. What was that advice?
1: I was. To a couple of things. First, what I learned about the Polad is on the day of Boyd's death, both Jim and Bob Polad showed up in our offices. And mm. I remember approaching Bob Polad and saying, what do you need from me? And he said, he took my mm. hands and he said, no, Eva, what do you need from us? That was my first introduction to the family, to the leaders of the family, Mm. because Boyd had that relationship and we did not participate in the meetings down in the Poled offices. Shortly after that, the Poleds then invited us through Bert Coliani down to their offices to share what it is we needed and to, you know, basically tell them, what it is that they owned in commercial real estate and share about the portfolio. So Mm -hmm. our chief financial officer and my boss at the time sat me down and said, we'd like you to go down to the pullout office and talk to them about the portfolio. We have some pieces of advice for you. One, don't get too far into the weeds. Mm -hmm. And two, you talk very fast. So slow down and don't talk so fast. (laughs) So (laughs) I thought to myself, wow, I could have used some advice about what to tell the poll ads. You know, I'd never been there before. I didn't know what they knew I was going in blind. So what I did is I put together a story about the portfolio. And when I stood Mm. up in the meeting to, to tell them about the portfolio, I started by saying, I've been given some speaking advice. One, don't talk too fast. So (laughs) I'm looking at you and I'm, I'm giving you permission. If I start talking too fast, Please slow me down because it's important what it is that I'm going to say, and I want you to hear it. And mm-hmm. second, I've been advised not to get too far into the weeds. I'm a detail person. The portfolio, I run the portfolio from the ground up, so I know all of the details. I know where all of um, the issues are, and so I'm I'm going to try to share those with you. But if I get too far into the detail, or I'm telling you something you already know, just raise your hand and tell me. shh, Move on. Well, right. they looked at me like, you know, they looked at me like, wow, you know, so. I I just started the conversation. I filled them in on the portfolio, top to bottom. And Bob Polad, God bless him, gets up from the table, comes around the table, takes my hands and says, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, okay. You know, um, they, I think, just wanted to know that we knew what we were doing. Right, and right. from, from that, that moment forward, Um, We were invited, you know, monthly down to the office to meet with um, Bert and Jim Polad and talk in detail about the portfolio and, of course, Bill's development uh, transactions as well. And Mm -hmm. we opened what I thought to be a very transparent relationship and communication process with the family. And I really benefited Mm -hmm. from that. That gave me confidence in myself.
0: Yeah. I mean, a couple of messages here that you got. I would call it maybe some criticism about don't get too into the details. They don't want to know all the details. They want you to stay high level and don't talk so fast. So but but you use that. You said, look, I, I've yep. been told this and I'm going to just put it out there if you feel like I'm talking too fast, if you feel like I'm you're getting too much detail. But wow, I mean that's the Polad family, right? They um yep. say, What can we do for you? You know, it's not like command yes. and control, this is the way it's gonna be. They want to know, you know, and you 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 know, you did that. You told them here here are the properties. Here's what you need to know. Here's what Boyd knew that uh you may not know. So yeah, we've got it under control. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Let me move on to another topic. We've talked about this. Um it's about networking. Um you're not a golfer. You 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 don't nope. necessarily go out and have drinks with the guys, but you found no. that in your career in order to be successful you had to find your own way to connect so you joined NAOP a national association of industrial and office parks and tell me about that i did
1: i did um Oh, my gosh, it must have been, you know, 35 years ago. My boss asked me a question and yeah, run out to your network and get the answer to this question. And I went back to my office and I thought to myself, geez, I better get a network. I wonder how you do that. <laughs> so um, I that. <laughs> so I did what I always do when I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I called my older sister and I said, I need to get a network. What should I do? And she said... Um, <laughs> Trade association. Yes. So I looked, I checked around, and NAIOP was the you know one of the local trade associations for commercial real estate. So I signed myself up to go to a breakfast meeting, and I went there and I stood in the door and I looked in the room, and there were a couple hundred navy blue and black suits, and I thought, oh, I don't know any of these people, and they're all men. What do I do now? <laughs> yeah. So I did the same thing. At that time we had payphones on the wall. And I ran back to the ladies' room and called my sister. I said, What do I do? I don't know anybody. She says, Well, just walk in like you own the place and look for a committee. <laughs> so I did. I joined I joined a committee. I joined the education committee and then I joined the public policy committee and you know, uh, I chose committees that would Exposed me to a number of people inside the industry. Education committee was really a wonderful place to start because in order to in order to seat um, discussion panels, you have to solicit um, knowledgeable individuals in the industry to come and speak. And so it gave me a purpose to call industry leaders, and it was mm-hmm. um, it gave me a reason to call them and introduce mm-hmm. myself. And I love that that gave me a connection working with industry leaders and um, that is how I began building my industry friends sure yeah and it, it was it was really beneficial
0: yeah it uh, I mean that's what I did for a lot of my career I joined NAOP uh, I was uh, president of the chapter here for a while I helped start crew commercial real estate women here and put for you. Yeah, That's people great. start to get to know me. Um I'm a golfer. Yes. I do that too, but you know, how, you know, the, I think the message is here that to women is how is it that you get people to know you? It's important that they know you. And so they can yes. do business with you, right?
1: Yes, and it's important for you to know them um mm-hmm. in 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 my position buying and selling commercial buildings it's important it was important for me to connect on a national level as well as a local level
0: mm-hmm. with
1: other industry experts so that if i had a question about a market or i had a question about a building type or or a person in that market i had somebody to call so mm-hmm. i needed to know who they were too and that sure that became a very integral part of you know how I stayed connected to what mm-hmm. was going on in the industry,
0: right? Yeah, building a network, and and you probably had mm-hmm. a Rolodex at one time. I had a Rolodex uh, before we had <laughs> <I did>. Outlook <laughs> and contacts, and it was it was a big Rolodex. Uh, but I had to convert that to my contacts yes. and Outlook. So yeah, um, exactly. Uh, another topic we talked about was um, you know you and I came from you know hardworking parents. Um, yes. we, we were honest, honest, hardworking parents, and and that's where we came from. And then you get into business, and you find out that people say things, they don't always do what they say. I, I was naive, I think, in that when I first came into business, and somewhat vulnerable to that uh, business. I found, you know, we all know that people are really looking out for themselves. You develop relationships and friendships, but Tell me about that as it relates to, which I thought was interesting, about your hobby of uh, horseback riding.
1: Yes. One thing I learned um, I don't know if listeners are horse people, um, but the interesting thing about a horse is that they actually um, naturally understand whether or not you're being authentic and whether you're trustworthy. They mm-hmm. can, re- they reflect your. Um, Feelings, if you will, right back to you. And because of that, because of a connection with my horse and then learning, you know, soft aids and harsher aids um, as you're learning to ride, it helped me kind of read the room. So I felt like it gave me a little bit of an emotional intelligence that I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have had otherwise. And so I tended to be in a meeting and I would read the room to see who was engaged and how they were responding to or reacting to what was being discussed. And then the language that I put around that and you and I talked about this and you do the same thing is rather than depend on necessarily what people are saying they're going to do I kind of watch their feet. I watch what direction <laughs> are they really going. So
0: <laughs> so where <laughs> they walk I what they would, do yeah
1: yeah what they what they actually do. And mm-hmm. so um, that helped me inform you know, who who I could depend on, um, who was going to deliver on a promise, and it helped me create language amongst our team members about um, promises and negotiating an alternate outcome if you weren't going to be able to meet your
0: promise, and um, it was really beneficial, mm-hmm. I thought. Yeah, yeah, I, I have always done that, and I can't really, it's, it's not always possible for me to verbalize that because it's it's almost like a visceral response to mm-hmm. to someone that you know I might meet someone and I'm getting to know them and and there's like they whether they're shut down or something there's some message I'm getting that I I can't trust them and you know I go back and I try and I try but I've always learned to trust that emotional intelligence and it's not that I don't work with people uh, like that I just there are people that I can trust and there are people that I can't trust. And I've that, that instinct, that emotional intelligence has never been wrong. Would you agree? I do agree. And
1: I would tell people that worked with me, um, trust yourself. I do. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're, if something is feeling off, it is. And so, you know, plan accordingly. Yeah. It doesn't mean somebody's bad or good. It just, it's not all in alignment. And if stuff isn't in alignment, it's not going to go forward smoothly. There's corrective action to take along the way. And just own mm-hmm. that. I just felt that was, for me, that was better than running fast, getting to the end of the line, only to figure out that whoever said they were coming with me actually didn't show up. I mean, mm-hmm. it was better to to kind of own it, check in along the way, and nudge mm-hmm. things down the path with me.
0: Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, You and I share something in common. We tend to be direct and uh, speak lines Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. decisive. And you worked with a coach about what you call neutralizing your language. Tell me about that.
1: Yes, I worked with a coach in the last, oh, I'd say six or seven years of my career. Um, And we, we named it neutralizing language. So in a meeting with, you know, you're sitting at a table now as a leader with very intelligent individuals, people that have experience, knowledge, wisdom, and you want to hear it, at least I do. I want to mine for diverse opinions to to help inform better decision making and some sometimes I would find people would shut down if you use language like, "Well, I don't agree," or that doesn't make sense to me." And so I learned neutralizing language like um, "Have you considered instead of. I don't agree. Or, um, that sounds like an assessment to me. Can you help me ground that assessment so that I can determine Mm -hmm. whether or not, you know, I'm understanding what you're saying or talk to me more about that or explain to me where that comes from. And so it was more of a probative approach, um, to a conversation than, um, uh, using my direct language of, well, I don't agree. So we're going to go this way, or that doesn't make sense to me. So I want to try this. It would really be more of encouraging a broader conversation and remaining Mm -hmm. curious. Oftentimes someone Mm -hmm. would say something to me and I'd think to myself, no, that doesn't feel right to me. I'd say, well, let's remain curious for a minute. What might else we take into consideration? And so it, it, it really seemed to help people with, they would recognize the language. Mm-hmm. And they would know that I was, I was stumbling with something and they'd start participating in the conversation because I wanted it to go further. And that was very, that mm-hmm. was effective for me. Mm-hmm. I also That's gave great. people permission to, to stop me because I, I like you, I'm very focused. I'm very, you know, I'm on a mission and I wanted yes. people to, to know that it was okay with me if they just grabbed me by the back of the shirt or said, Hey, I need to talk to you because I actually would stop. I just probably wasn't thinking about it at the time.
0: hmm Right. Yeah, the hyper focus can cause us to not always stop and pause and think about the right things to say and how to say them. <laughs> I've learned that yeah, over the years. Exactly.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, yes.
0: One. One last question. I. I've got one more for you. But uh, we talked about the fear. I think. I think many women um, are worried about you know doing the best work and knowing everything and being somewhat perfectionist. We talk about the difference between perfectionism and excellence in this uh, podcast, and um, there was a time where you were worried that you didn't know all the answers, and you came to realize something, and you shifted your mindset. Tell me about that. I did. I was using so much emotional energy
1: anticipating what somebody needed to know or what I needed to do next that I, I was getting tired. And so I had to have a conversation with myself, and I changed my language and my thought process intentionally. And people would come to me, in 2008 and nine, you know, in the worst time of our careers in the economy, right. um, mm-hmm. pe- people would come in my office and say, well, what are we going to do about this? And I changed my language. I said, thank you for thinking I would know. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I haven't experienced this either, so sit down. I let's figure it out. And if we can't figure it out, let's figure out who we should ask. And so it became a mission of mine to be open to seeking knowledge and expertise and I did I no longer viewed that as a weak a weakness. I mm. I pursued diverse opinions. I pursued knowledge. I asked questions and I let that information inform decisions. That was really meaningful. And then for people where things would happen, accidents would occur, you know, um, somebody wouldn't have noticed for some reason that we needed to buy a new HVAC system in a building and they had a $100,000 mm-hmm. $100, problem and they'd come into my office and, and getting them to explain to me the situation was was very important to me. And so I learned to help people understand that it was a safe place. I learned to tell them that, listen, unless one of your children is sick or um, something bad is happening to somebody in your family. This is about a physical building, and it's about money. So let's talk about what the real problem is. And then people would right. just let down their guard, and they'd start explaining to me what was going on, you know, because they figured out I wasn't going to jump mm-hmm. on them, and I was actually concerned whether or not there yeah. was something going on with them and their family. And that worked. That was helpful. Right.
0: hmm Yeah, it's a collaborative approach, uh, which isn't always – the case in business, uh, you know, there, the tendency is because you and I are decisive. Somebody comes in with a problem, we solve it. Uh, but but yep. people don't always learn that way to take a leadership position. And okay, what do you think we should do? In other words, don't bring me yes. problems without solutions. What do you think we should do here? Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So, and I yep. I changed that. I ch- I did change that language a little bit by saying um, let's remain curious. Um, I I found earlier on that I didn't always have the solution, and I wanted to be able to go in and talk to my boss or to seek information from others without being made to feel stupid. I had a boss once that said to me when I asked a question, what are you, stupid? And I Uh, thought to myself, wow, I'm banning that language from, I don't use the word stupid or idiot in any of my language, in any of my conversations. Yes. And I use the, I use the language. Let's remain curious. Who might have that information? Let's go talk to so-and-so. And And I made that be a mission. And, Mm -hmm. but, you know, come with ideas, be open to, you know, discussing. So, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, Eva, it's been great. You've had a wonderful career, and congratulations on that. And I can thank you. you. (laughs) Yes, thank you. I'm a lucky,
1: lucky person.
0: (laughs) Yes, you are. What are you? uh, You're now retired. What are you doing in retirement?
1: Well, I'm on the board of Common Bond. You may be familiar with them. They're a large provider of of uh, low income housing in the Upper Midwest. Okay. Um, I'm also I'm also chairing the. Board of Governors for the Research Foundation for NAIOP. Mm. Um, and, yep. and I just retired yesterday from a 12-year run on the Board of Directors of Gilda's Club, oh. uh, Twin Cities, which which is a um, an organization that provides psychosocial support for anybody touched by cancer. Mm. And so that's been a big journey for me. And I have a dog and I have a horse and I have a wonderful spouse and we have our new um, retirement home up in Ely, and I um, am uh, partners with my sister in the caregiving for my 91 year old father, and so that that kind of <laughs> takes up my time. Oh, I have a small consulting um, project on a, a, a small real estate portfolio. I'm the coach of two uh, women who are going to be inheriting their father's real estate mm-hmm. portfolio, and they aren't they aren't as um, knowledgeable about commercial real estate as they wish and so I am their coach mm-hmm. and I'm really enjoying that working with these sure. two women very 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 bright and a nice nice way mm-hmm. to um, connect with other
0: uh, women so sounds like sounds like fun it doesn't sound like you're uh, really retired it sounds like you've got a lot of different things going on so good for you yeah thanks on a different journey but um, I'm enjoying it Thanks for joining me today, Eva. I loved it. I loved our conversation. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Follow us on Instagram at LeadingShe. And visit our website, LeadingShe.com, where we have many great ideas for women leaders.